Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Well, welcome back to another Performance Matters series podcast. Bob Mosier here, one of your co-hosts. So excited about this particular episode because it is my sincere pleasure to welcome a dear friend, a mentor, one of my heroes in this industry who has really become, I say this all the time, I think one of the world's best five moments of need designers that we have at this business, Sue Reaver. Sue, welcome. Thank you, Bob. It's nice <laughs> to be here. <laughs> and we can say this happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Even though folks will listen to this, you know, beyond the day, but happy birthday, Sue. So, uh, so, friend, one reason I'm so excited about this particular podcast is because we have interviewed, you know, obviously Khan from a theory perspective and a visionary. He's, we all know, pioneer in this stuff. We've interviewed organizations who are well on this journey, leaders in those companies who have the vision and such. Clearly, you're a leader when it comes to design and development. So in this, you've mentored so many, been a part of the certificate program and others, and we've just watched you mature in your growth as you've been along for this ride and gone through all this. But... I, so many on this call are in your shoes. And so having a true senior developer's perspective in this, I think, is so important. So let's start with how you got there, friend. So give us a bit on your background and how you arrived at this place. Yeah, it was all a little bit of luck, actually, right? <laughs> <laughs> I started out as a high school English teacher, mm -hmm. and I graduated from college at a time when there were literally hundreds of applications for every teaching job. Wow. I did manage to teach for a few years, <laughs> but I didn't really like it very well. I loved the teaching part of it, but I did not like the administrative stuff that went along with it. Mm. So I was looking for a job that was going to use my education background and allow me to write. And I fell into a job as an instructional designer, as you know, for logical operations. Wow. And that was the beginning of it all. And that opened up so many doors, just total blessing <laughs> <laughs> to wind up there. And I got to be an instructional designer in a company where there was a really good foundation in training. And that really helped me a lot. They facilitated me getting my master's degree introduced me to performance-based, problem-based learning with LearnPro, our case-based learning model, which mm. I was the manager of. And that really is what started me on my journey, I think, toward performance-based training as opposed to knowledge-based training. Well, you know, let's, let's run with that a bit. I think that's why you're so wonderful at this, Sue. I mean, we talk with and have designers steeped in Addy in this process all the time. Many of them take our certificate program. Uh, we run into them every day. Uh, and you were as good at it as anyone I ever knew. And you took such great pride in it. You were educated in it, as you mentioned. And along that way, and I was along that journey with you in that whole Learn Pro thing, we hit this important pivot that we, we kind of realized that maybe training is, alone is not enough or a training first mindset is not enough. Tell me, why does the five moments of need that you're so good at now 
work for you as a designer? What is it that makes it so unique to you or has helped you change that mindset? Yeah, it makes me think about the performance first. I mean, it's really all about performance, right? And so Five Moments of Need helps me think about that from what is it that people need to be able to do and all the different contexts in which they need to do that work. Because the different contexts, the five moments of need, whether it's apply or change or learn something new, it's a little bit different what you need to be able to do and what you need to be able to present to them. And when you think through that, you're going to come up with a solution that's going to be far better meet the needs of the performers Hmm. rather than meeting the needs of the trainer or, you know, the, what the business thinks they need. Let's let's talk a bit more about this do thing. When I talk about this to people, they're like, you know, we used to do that too. Bob, it's just semantics. Do, no, no, do. And and so I, I don't think it is. It's the pivot on do first is really what has changed it for me. You know, you get some ease in a room, and at least from my experience, the first thing they say is, wait, 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 before we go any, go any further, there's just so much that we have to get on that whiteboard about what people need to know. Mm-hmm. And if they don't know these things, they can't begin to perform and blah, 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 blah. That is really a very different lens through which we approach this. Talk a bit about, even from the beginning, when you sit down with an organization, you're helping them work through this. How does it differ in that journey from start and in, in, in going through the process? With this approach, you start with a scope objective or a scope statement that is provides you with the parameters. And that scope statement defines the performance mm. that you're going after. And then everything, as you walk through it, everything that you do in the analysis is all about, starts with all about what do performers need to be able to do in order to meet the parameters, get through that scope objective. You know, and we say do and no, and and we say it in that order. What do they have to do and understand? What struggles do you find in that exercise that the SMEs go through, or even maybe developers who who may be listening in as you're doing it? What struggles do they have? What's that mind shift change that they have to go through, in your opinion? I think it's just starting from the bottom at the task level they have a really really hard time just saying these are the things that I do and they have a hard time focusing on what is actual performance Mm. because in their mind and I see this when I see task writing when I see people write tasks they will write steps that are information that is not a step a step has an action if it doesn't have an action, it's not a step. It's hmm. information. And I think that's where people struggle a lot because they conflate information with performance. Wow. So important, right? And we, we get things like they need to understand. Mm-hmm. They need to know these kinds of things as a verb mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. in, in performance. And we understand that's why that they so badly want to lead with this. So let me, let me go a little off script here, Sue, for a second, if you don't mind, because I, I really appreciate your opinion on this. Something we get all the time is that, well, you can't do this with soft skills. Because, <laughs> of course, they hear the word task, right? So what you mean, Bob, is task-based stuff like software or pushing a button. Actually, Sue, I know a lot of your work, frankly, in fact, probably the majority of it, is really around soft skill content. Yeah. Right? So, so how, help us understand answering that question about 
Can you do performance support for soft skills? You absolutely can do performance support for soft skills. In fact, I kind of feel like it's more important to do performance support for soft skills because we have a hard time with that, even in our business world. Hmm. And it, it does require a bit of a mind shift because rather than steps, a lot of times with soft skills, you're talking about guidelines Mm. and you need to identify the guidelines, but there is still some skill that you need to be able to perform it with those soft skills, whether that's active listening or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And and it's funny because we hear sometimes the shift with soft skills to competencies, Mm -hmm. you know, let's pivot on competencies and, the anxiousness I've seen around that is that it's one thing to understand the competencies, let's say, of leadership, but those competencies are done in the context of leading, mm-hmm. right? And they pivot on the context of leading. We can observe them in the context of leading. So, you know, I've, I've often asked people about, look, well, if you can't have performance support for soft skills, then you can't have training on it. Right. Because, yep. right? Because if you have training on it, you're saying you bring people into a room and you teach them how to be a leader not think about leadership, perform as leaders. If you can do that, performance support should fall in, in line with that, shouldn't it? Yes. So let me, let me give you a question around this because this real pivot on training first versus performance first is really the, the nugget of the whole thing. And tasks leads us to measurement. So my gosh, I have been chasing this ROI acronym forever. And when I had a training first mindset, I struggled with agree or disagree with them, the higher level of Phillips and, and Kirkpatrick. And so my aha in this journey has been that training often gets unfairly positioned as being able to directly measure or influence higher level Kirkpatrick and Phillips. I think candidly that understanding the five moments that training can't stretch itself into those areas. This is where performance support comes in because when you move into the workflow and you want to get into those higher levels, you have to be where the performance occurs. So help us understand, for your opinion, how has this shift to the five moments help us look at measurement differently in the things that you've designed and the way in which we can truly measure when we're done building a solution? So when we are building training, generally we're looking at measuring, if I'm talking Kirkpatrick, I've got my level one smile sheet my level two, I've got my little skill check. And then I might even go beyond that, like we tried to do with LearnPro, where I'll go back after the fact to people on the job and see if they were able to translate, transfer what mm. they learned. Mm. But it's not measuring the performance, it's measuring the training, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know that the business really cares about the training. They care about how does the performance change as a result of the training? And I don't believe that it can change as a result of the training because training is an event. Mm. Performance support is more of a way of life, Mm. right? You're integrating it right into your everyday work. And so you're not just measuring a single moment in time. So, Sue, what does it measure? We talked about, you know, how does it reach into that and give us a lens into performance? When I trained, frankly, e-learning or otherwise, to your event point, I left my students at the door. When they clicked out of the LMS or they walked out of my room, my direct impact or reach, or, or more importantly, my view into what they did later left. So how right. does this give us, how does these tools, how do your deliverables give us a different view 
into going further into that journey than we've been allowed to before? I think part of it is the usage statistics. We've talked before about how when you first release that performance support, so you've got, you, you probably have your training event, especially if it's something, if it's learn new or learn more. Sure. Some kind of a formal learning, whether it's e-learning or tr classroom. And you've got your measurement for that, but you've got your EPSS that goes with it. And there are statistics that you can track for that. So usage is one of those. And with usage, you can see when you first release the EPSS, you should have a big spike in use because you're releasing this new tool that hopefully you've designed very well and it curates all of the content associated with the tasks and provides the right context for people to get into it. And then, so there's a big spike in the beginning. And then as people are more comfortable with what they need to do on the job, there's actually, the, the usage should go down. And that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. People like look at it and they're going, oh wait, now nobody's using the performance support. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's That can be a really good thing because it means they got what they needed from the performance support and it was valuable and they will come back later as they do a job that they haven't done for a while or something like that, but they've always got that support there. So we can take a look at those usage statistics and see how they work. Now, if it goes down and never goes back up, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and I love this conversation, Sue, because here's the thing. The usage equivalent in training is attendance. And we always got yelled at, understandably, for saying, well, just because someone sat through something, how do we draw a correlation or causation, to use metric terms, to performance? Well, we can't. Mm -hmm. we, we can ask questions or infer, or I love this, how do you feel, or yep. do you think you can, which, which you can't defend those. But in this case, it's all about where the usage occurs. In the training event, you left cognitively or physically the work to consume. Yep. But when you consume this, it is at the point of need. It is at the point of apply. And so usage in this case and correlation to performance and to the support of performance, and to your point, the drop-off of use is there. We can do other measures around it that people have learned and are performing self-reliant without the tool. Very, yeah. very different metric and proof of higher-level ROI. Correct. And depending on what your performance support is, you can measure the business key performance indicators as well. For example, if you have a help desk solution, you can measure how much time did it take before we yep. implemented the performance support for people to take a call and give the right answer yep. <laughs> versus how much time does it take after we implement the performance support. And oh, by the way, are people now doing the procedure correctly yeah. as well? Are they giving the right answers? Yeah, brilliant. You know, when you talked earlier when we were preparing for this call about the fact that once usage drops off, the EPSS doesn't die. Because the learners right. know how to use it in the workflow, they're confident in it being a tool that helps them lift and perform better. You can keep these EPSSs up to date. Yes. Right? And that helps with, with change. Yes, and you should keep it up to date. So now I know my job and something is changing. We're implementing some new software or we have a new business process or something new. We can push that through the EPSS. And as long as we are keeping everything up to date, then people will 
eventually learn to go there as their first line of support. And track those usage patterns, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned a moment ago, and the cycle continues. Yes. Yeah, brilliant. We also had a little conversation, too, around the power of assets. It's one thing about just usage in general going up and down, but what they use, I think, is an indicator, too. Right? Can't what they use show us maybe their maturation of understanding or performance? Absolutely. And that's another beautiful thing about performance support is that you are curating all of the content. And so, for example, say you have a task that you have a template you need to use or as a starting point, you can have that template right there with the steps for filling it out or for completing it or the guidelines for how to use it. And so you're ensuring that people are going to always have the most up-to-date template if you're keeping your EPSS up-to-date. And through the usage statistics in most EPSSs, you can see what pages they're visiting and what assets they're downloading and looking at. And you can see, yes, they are really using this. And maybe they started out in the details and now they just go to the quick steps Mm. all the time. There's also some maturation in the assets they use. We built an EPSS, let's say very simply around the use of PowerPoint to perform a job. Well, the templates that were presented, some being very rudimentary, almost beginner-like. But you know through having built that project out, some of the templates were highly mature. Some of the templates involved some higher-level critical skills or or thinking skills to even use in the workflow. Right. So watching a learner mature from the use of the simpler assets to the use of more advanced assets is a correlation to their performance, right? Absolutely. Such powerful stuff. So, Sue… As always, spectacular. Let's wrap up with this. Friend, looking back on the journey that I've watched you mature through, what are your biggest takeaways? When you look back on that, can you give us a couple that you look back on and go, those were really good, bad, or ugly, frankly. Those are really pivotal points for me. And those who are starting this journey who are listening in, what advice did you learn through that? What advice would you give them through those learnings? We've kind of already talked about some of my (laughs) my biggest takeaways. (laughs) But I think just... The whole changing mind shift is not an easy thing. Mm. And you need to be open and listen. Listen very carefully to what your subject matter experts are saying, what your customers are saying, what your end users need, and try to design something that is as simple as possible and yet contextual. Mm. Love that. And, And I think that the biggest improvement for me is being able to really put together something that people want to use that helps them do their job better. Mm. Yeah, I think just that helps them do their job better. You know what I love about that, Sue, is nowhere in there did you say take. You know, build something that people want to take, sit through, give a five for, or think is very entertaining. Or And, and I'm, I'm being awful carefully because I'm not diminishing the power of assets that are often, frankly, linked directly mm-hmm. to moments one and two because you got to be schooled up. Yeah. But every word you used pivoted on the learner and how powerful it's been for you to enable them, not because of you, but through what you've created. Yeah. Excellent. Well, my friend can't thank you enough. As always, uh, you're just one of my heroes in this business, uh, as you are for others who listen and those who've known you and and you've mentored. Can't thank you enough for helping those 
trying to understand this better, for sharing your journey with us today, Sue. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bob. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.the5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.